anytime I think it would be good for me to make a change, I don't look for a milestone date. I look for what's the smallest thing I could do that would get me ready, focus me in the right direction, point me in the right direction. Maybe I could take a little move. What would not be disruptive? Because the additive value of many small changes over time usually pans out to be much more significant than the huge change initiative that you try and it fails, or you try and people back away from it. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams, and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Liz Kislik. Liz is a management consultant and executive coach, and she's also a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes. Her TEDx talk is why there's so much conflict at work and what you can do to fix it has received more than a quarter of a million views. She specializes in developing high-performing leaders and workforces and for 30 years has helped family-run businesses, national nonprofits, and Fortune 500 companies solve their thorniest of problems. You'll see in this interview, I love this conversation with Liz. I picked up so much, whether you're developing leaders working through change initiatives, et cetera, you're going to pick up so much in this conversation. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Liz Kisley. Have you ever tried online marketing before and weren't sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with Direct Clicks. Direct Clicks is the premier Google ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% resource-oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with direct clicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, DirectClicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve chairman circle, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club, and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. 
Sign up at coachpconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Liz, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Bradley. I'm happy to be with you. Very excited to chat with you today. So we always start with background and origin stories. So for people that don't know you, why don't you tell them a little bit about kind of your story and how you got to where you are today? Okay. So when I graduated college, unlike my friends who went to grad school, I wanted to go to work. I felt like work was where things happened and you could make things happen. And so I looked around and I got a job at a marketing agency where I had actually worked summers, two summers before. And because they knew me, I was able to come in at a higher level than your typical fresh out of school kid. And I thought that I was going to be an account executive because that's what they told me. But on my first day of work, I learned that instead I would be subbing in and I would be the interim manager of the statistical and tabulation department because the manager of that department happened to be out on maternity leave. And so all of a sudden I was responsible for two dozen women who were certainly older than I was, experienced in their jobs. And I knew their jobs existed, but I didn't really know what they were doing. So it was a first kind of trial by fire. And bless those women, they were very kind to me and patient. And we learned how to deal with each other. And they learned to work with somebody who was different from their boss, who was a screamer, which I was not. And I learned how to deal with them. And I stayed at that agency for, I think it was about eight years. And every six months for at least the first three or four years, I got a new promotion because I was always looking for more stuff to do. So I would just do stuff that wasn't getting done and then would be recognized for it and given the opportunity to have the title and a little pay bump and actually be in charge of it. And that all went pretty well. I will tell you, Bradley, that the hardest job I ever did was at that company. When I was 23, I was responsible for a 300 employee call center. And I learned a lot, but a lot of it was painful because you can't ever have everything really be done or really be in fabulous shape all the time. And I didn't like that. I like things to go well and to run smoothly. And there were loads of ups and downs and many people to get used to and to have them deal with the fact that they thought their boss was a little girl mm. and all of that kind of stuff. But I could not have paid for the education that I got in that company. Yeah. Several years down the road, the owner died, the firm was undercapitalized, the widow of the owner brought in new management. It clearly was not where I wanted to be. So I left and within a week, consultants that I knew were subcontracting work to me. And oh my goodness, that was 34 years ago this month, actually. And I've shifted the work I've done over time. That was a telemarketing agency. 
so I consulted on that. And then I was consulting on customer service because telemarketing really was not great by the point I was out there. And what I learned was that everything that goes wrong in a company eventually finds its way to a customer or to a customer interaction. There is always an impact on customers. And so for leaders who were willing to hear about what was happening in their business outside the call center or the contact center, I would then get involved in other areas of the business. And so that's how I got to really where I am today, where my clients look to me for everything from strategy, general business operations, leadership development, team development, whatever is going on that is challenging or where they're not sure about things or sometimes where they've had a problem for years and years and they finally decide they are just tired of having this problem Mm -hmm. and it's time to do something about it. So my work is so varied, which I love. And when a client wants to do better, wants to learn, I'm happy to stay and we might work together for years and years. I have a client I've been with almost 28 years, I think. Mm. I mean, not every day, of course, but in and out. And it has just been very lucky and interesting and a blast. You know, in preparing for this podcast, there was a lot of different places that I want to take the conversation to be able to apply different concepts and things to our conversation for our listening audience. There's one that actually came up this morning. I was on a call with a client myself, and it made me think about the podcast recording we were going to have. And so we're coming up at the time that we're recording this, it's late 2021, and this episode will drop sometime early in 2022. And the reason I say that is because people who are listening to this will be thinking, 2021 was either great or good, and I want it to be great, or it wasn't where I wanted it to be. And so therefore, we're going to need to make some changes. In change initiatives, nobody ever makes changes in organizations thinking, oh, this is definitely going to be an epic failure. Okay. Nobody ever says that. Everybody makes changes with the intention that ultimately is going to pay off into something positive. But change initiatives are really tough. And there's all these second order consequences that happen. So I was having the conversation with this client and he was thinking through making a fairly massive change in the way that he organizes his two different agencies. Okay. Mm -hmm. It bring that to light to say that there are a lot of people that we're going to be making changes this year. What are some of the best practices around change initiatives? Almost kind of like, hey, here are the things you need to think about, but also the things that you've seen, Liz, where the way that they handled that, maybe the change itself is not bad, but the way they went about rolling it out was really the problem. Okay. So I'm going to start from the perspective that it is the end of 2021, Bradley. Mm -hmm. And some of your listeners may also be thinking, oh, I've just made my New Year's resolutions by the time they hear this. And that's a different kind of change initiative, right? And the vast majority of people who make New Year's resolutions give them up somewhere between January and February. So it is exactly to your point, so often it doesn't work out the way we planned. And why is that? And what can we do about it? 
So let me start on the personal level first, which is that it is much harder to make a drastic change than a small change. And that's true whether you wanna exercise more or really whether you wanna reorganize your entire company. When you say, I'm gonna make this huge whopper change, you've gotta know that everything is going to shift. And thank you so much for immediately raising the issue of the second order or even attenuated circumstances that are happening around the change, because you never really know what's going to happen down the line. So one of the things that I do for myself, I stopped making resolutions. Anytime I think it would be good for me to make a change, I don't look for a milestone date. I look for what's the smallest thing I could do that would get me ready, focus me in the right direction, point me in the right direction maybe I could take a little move. What would not be disruptive? Because the additive value of many small changes over time usually pans out to be much more significant than the huge change initiative that you try and it fails, or you try and people back away from it. And I can't tell you how many places I've been that when you interview employees about what goes wrong in their company, they say things like, oh, well, we have a flavor of the month program, right? They want us to do something new. They're always giving us something new. They don't think about how it'll work for us. And that goes to your point about execution. The idea for the change itself might actually be a good one and very necessary. So conceptually, looking for small things that will pay off and therefore demonstrate a return on investment demonstrate to those around you that you actually make smart choices, that they can count on the sense of what you're asking for because they see you demonstrating these small things and it works. So then you have lots of pluses in your column instead of a kind of big negative. But when I'm working with clients on a project, one of the things I really recommend they do is what's called a pre-mortem as opposed to a postmortem. So I never liked postmortems because a postmortem suggests that something died. And that's really drastic. And I just don't like that idea. I'm a very optimistic person. And I don't like the idea that we are now looking at the demise of something saying, where did we go wrong? So after the fact, I like a reflection. But before a pre-mortem, if you get all the relevant parties, sidebar, the relevant parties are often more people than you are thinking about when you think of who are the relevant parties. So just know that more people will be affected by the change than the two people you discuss it with to brainstorm it. Okay, that's really crucial. But the pre-mortem is you get the relevant parties, and sometimes you can have them all meet at once, and sometimes you're on video, and sometimes you have to do it sequentially. But you say to them, we're looking at this change. We are contemplating this new thing, and here are the reasons it's important, et cetera, et cetera. If something were to go wrong, what do you think it would be? Mm. Let everybody raise the problems. One of the things that we do wrong regarding change is we get excited about it, and we sell it. 
and we're excited. And if we're the leader, a lot of people don't like to disagree with us. They consider it not smart to disagree with the leader. So they agree. And then we feel great. They agree. I'm smart. I've got this great idea. The people agree. This is going to be dynamite. But they don't agree the way you think they do. They agree because you're in charge. They want you to be happy with them. They want to agree. So they shut themselves up. Or I just wrote a blog about this, I don't know, a few weeks ago, a leader I was observing who asks people how we can get this done. Give me all your suggestions, but never asks for questions or concerns. Yeah. So starting from a place of we're imperfect humans, even with best intentions and good planning, something is going to go awry. Help me figure out what it is so we can build safety nets, so we can sequence better, so we can make sure we have the right resources in place, even so we can run small experiments without going whole hog in a direction that we don't really know enough about. I love that. A couple of things that stand out to me is whenever you mentioned about reflection, so we call that after action review. I think that was a military term. So it's yes. basically looking back and saying, okay, like what worked, what didn't work, et cetera. Love the idea of the pre-mortem. I've heard that before. I think that was such a great point that you made there. And saying, what are the things that are actually going to go wrong with this? Because oftentimes, and you were mentioning about it from the perspective of the team, the people around the person who has the idea, if they shut down and they're like, well, you know what, we got to tell him what he wants to hear or her what she wants to hear. When in reality, oftentimes the leader themselves as well are honestly only looking at all the things that are going to go right because of this initiative, because they don't want, I mean, listen, is it safe to say our ego gets in the way sometimes? Like we think that this idea is going to be great. So therefore, let's just find all the reasons why it's going to be great. And you begin to almost sell yourself on it. So let me give you just a little adjustment on that. Yes, ego, that is true. But oftentimes it's hope. Oh, yeah. Because even compassionate leaders, responsible, caring leaders, they want it to be better. So if they have this idea that they think will make it better, they invest themselves 100% and they're more crushed than anybody when it goes awry. Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions. From creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, we are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a state farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com and be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant Marketing Solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. 
Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Let's transition into leadership development. In our call the other day, we were discussing this idea, and I specifically want to tailor our conversation because if we just said, hey, let's talk about leadership development, my goodness gracious, I mean, how many different places could that go? I do know that there are a lot of people as they are growing their business, they get to a point, especially whenever you're north of six people. That's my opinion. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. When you get north of six people, it's really hard to have all of those people reporting to you. So therefore, you begin to think about, okay, I think it's time for me to have uh, whatever you want to call it, a leader of some sort, an office manager, agency manager, whatever that may be. And so let's just make the assumption that this founder business owner is really good at developing people in a sales role, a customer care role, a very tactical position. It is a whole other thing than to go and develop other leaders. And I just want to kind of tailor the conversation to leaders developing leaders specifically. How can we effectively do that, create collaboration and not have tension within the organization? Because now one person who was part of the team has now been elevated or in some cases brought from the outside to, quote, be a leader. Okay, you packed a heap of things into that. So let me break that out a little bit. The leader developing leader part, let's take that as the impetus and the first stage of action. I would not want to be developing somebody in something I knew I wasn't good at. So one of the things that often happens is a founder or an owner wants to give away the parts they don't like and let somebody else be responsible for them. Now, that is the most natural human thing in the world. But as we learn, looking at business, what is natural to us is often not as effective as what we are thoughtful and dispassionate about. So if I need something that I can't stand to do myself or have actually messed up the last three times, if I'm dealing with an internal person, there are a couple of options. One is they may actually know how to do it. They're the one who pointed out to me that I was messing it up, okay? Maybe they know how, that's great. So then can I trust them enough to really let them do it? And can I look for the right support for them that is not me? Can I be generous enough, open-hearted enough to actually find them other support, which might be a course, might be a seminar, might be mentoring from a colleague I have out in the field. All those things are possible. Or do I feel like I need to be in charge of this and I kind of let this person start, but whenever I don't like what they're doing, I poke at them because I'm in charge. And so I undercut their ability to lead because it doesn't match 
the way I feel about it. This is a real challenge, not only for owners. This is a real challenge for leaders generally, because we get this belief, call it a cognitive bias, that if we're in charge of anything, it's because we're good. So, of course, we know how. So if somebody does something differently, we question it. We don't rely on it as much. We may take shots at it even. So I would encourage your listeners very much to work on their self-awareness in terms of what they are actually good at and where they need shoring up. And that's why it's important to have outside influences. I love this. Okay. And I think this, for our listening audience, this is really important. She is saying, yeah, the old adage is hire for your weaknesses, right? We've heard that or whatever the things that you don't want to do and you're not good at, you just need to delegate that. But what is implicitly said there is then you're going to delegate and you're going to be the one to kind of hand this off. And so what either ends up happening is you attempt to try to do some training on it. But the reality is you're not good at it to begin with. And you're probably not passionate about it. You mentioned that. So that's the other thing. You don't have a proficiency and a passion for it. So we need to go delegate it off. And then the idea is that, well, the impetus is on you to actually then train that person. But again, you know, so it is so important. You're saying, well, what's the answer? Go find a who. Go find somebody else. Maybe that is a course. Maybe that's a program. Maybe that's coaching and development for them. And that takes a level of, I think, confidence and humility for the leader, owner leader, to then say, you know what? I care about you so much that I realize that I'm not the best person to develop you versus everything has to flow through me and I have to wear all these other hats that I'm really good at. I think that is really profound. And I hope our listening audience really picks up on that. So I love the way the approach you came to that. Okay, continue on. And it's such a big deal. There has to be one person in the audience who has had the experience of they've replaced that job three times already and they can't figure out why it doesn't work out. Right. It's not necessarily because of the people who've been in it. Okay, so that's one important chunk. You might hire somebody from the outside who has a real reputation for being good at it, whatever this stuff is that you don't want to do. But sometimes the stuff you don't want to do, you actually don't like and don't respect so much. And so you may never really encourage that new hire to grow as much as they could take charge of as much as they could accomplish as much because you don't care about that stuff. Again, you're undercutting yourself. So the big picture is really, what do we need? If we're going to grow, if we're going to accomplish these fabulous things, if we're going to support my family and the families of all the people who work here, what do we need? What would a stranger tell me? Find a stranger. I don't mean just on the street. I mean, someone who has not grown up in your business, but knows how to look at your business and ask them. I mean, so much of my work is to be a dispassionate outside view with no axe to grind. Often, I'm telling them about problems they know exist, but now they actually have to pay attention. Yes. So much of that. And what's great about that is. I get to congratulate them knowing it was a problem and make the next stage of work sound more inviting than yeah. what they've been dreading all along and staving off all along. 
That's true. And sometimes they need that outside person just to honestly give them the thumbs up and the go ahead to say, yes, you need to move forward with this. I mean, they probably had that conversation in the back of their head saying, you know what, I think we need to do this. We need to implement this. It's time to go ahead and make this higher. We need to go ahead and bring this person in. But sometimes that outside perspective is just Liz saying, yeah, it's time for you to do this. Okay, great. Now we actually have permission to move forward. I mean, it really is that simple sometimes. Yes. Or the nudge. I mean, I don't know about you, Bradley. I have a coach. I pay a lot of money because I always had the capacity, but I never would have written for Harvard Business Review or written for Forbes if she weren't saying to me, look, this is the next stage of your career. Are you going to do this? And we talk it through, et cetera. No, totally agree with that. I firmly believe in what I'm about to say. Do not ever trust a coach who does not have a coach. Or has not had one. I mean, maybe they're on a three-week hiatus, you know. Well, I mean, but that's different. I don't mean like literally every day. I mean, what I'm saying is that they have to also be coachable, but being a good consultant is a lot of you being able to be coachable and listening to the things, the feedback that you're getting from clients and saying, you know what, sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you make a suggestion and it's like, you know what, honestly, maybe the timing wasn't right on that. And so that coachability, I think, yes. absolutely has to be there. And the other thing is just on that topic, and we'll move off that, but you're helping other people to grow. Well, therefore, I would hope that they would also then know, is this person growing? Are they getting better? Because the world changes so fast that what was working five and 10 years ago, yes, there are principles that worked that are timeless, but the world is changing so fast that if my coach consultant is not developing him or herself along the way too, they could actually become irrelevant if they're not working to improve themselves. That's just my opinion. on those That's things. really it for me. I agree with that a thousand percent. We cannot expect that what we have known before is enough. None of us can corner the market on intelligence, even for our own jobs. Mm-hmm. There's too much diversity, too much complexity. There's just too much going on all the time. We need outside views to leaven whatever our dough is. Okay, so I'm going to take that as a segue back to an earlier part of your question. So you've just made somebody else a leader or you've brought in a leader. And now the team has to adjust. It's not just you, the founder owner. There's this other person who has clout that the other team members don't think they have, appear not to have, don't know how to use, and maybe don't know how to react to. I think this goes back to your change management question. And it's really about thinking through the entire waterfront. What are all the secondary effects? It's not just, oh, great. Now we've brought in Randy and Randy is going to handle our whatever it is, our marketing, our administration, our whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You don't want Randy to become the trash bucket for everything that the team agreed was a pain in the neck and a thorn in our side. I love this. This is so true. This what, is so right? True. Yeah, yes. I know. <laughs> I say this from pain, right? That happens. Everybody associates Randy with the stuff they don't like. They never even find out if they like Randy. Uh Randy never becomes part of the team. Randy is like, take out the trash, Randy. Very bad. Okay, Randy doesn't last long or does, but is separate from everybody for years. And five years later, no one can understand why Randy's disaffected and everybody ignores them. 
it's that kind of thing. Okay, so that's one example. Second example that's a problem though, it's different if it's an internal or an external. If it's an external, one of the things that happens, it's so sad, is the external person comes in all pumped up. The owner has told me that I am the answer to their prayers. I am a hot knife through butter. I am going in there and here are the things that are going to happen day one, day two. Okay. Really revved up high on adrenaline and unfortunately often thinking my new colleagues don't know what they're doing. That's why they need me. So owner, founder, leader, people, please be proportional. Explain to your Randy just how great the rest of the team is Mm. and what their strengths are and why it's so important to coordinate and collaborate with them and Mm. to go in, even if you are an old experienced expert, to go in recognizing you're the new kid on this block and that you need the other people there to help you be successful. Or you could be really great, but you are a tool that doesn't have anything to work on. Well, this is good. Liz and I are on the same wavelength. Okay, we think alike. I love the way Liz thinks and talks about these things. That is so true. I could make this episode explicit. I'm not going to, but people would say, you know, people don't want your crap. Okay, they don't want to just come in and be like, Liz, just tell me all the problems that you just don't love. And I'll just love to take all of your problems. I mean, listen, now there are things to say one man's trash is another man's treasure or whatever. I mean, look, there are things that you probably don't love to do that are not in your unique ability that are for someone else. And so you don't necessarily love to do, it doesn't matter, marketing things, whatever, but somebody else may love to do those type of items. So we get that. But to your second point, I know people have sat in an interview hiring anybody on their team and has said, you're going to come in. Here's all the problems we have, but you are the one that's going to save the day for us. Okay. You're going to save the day for us. Yeah. I see. We just really need this here and we need this here and we need this here. And the person thinks that they're coming in going to be Superman, Superwoman, put the cape on. And yeah, that's not going to go well. I think that was really well said. I love that. All right. I want to transition to our last kind of big topic here because it's something that's super passionate of mine. And that is this alignment of the vision that the business owner founder has, along with shorter term goals, we'll say, okay, goals, targets, and aligning all of that with the long-term vision, the short-term goals, the values and the culture of the organization, kind of meshing all of that together in making that work. And I know that that is certainly a really big topic. We could have a whole podcast just on that alone. But what are some of the things that you work with organizations that you see are really working things that don't? Okay. It's easiest to call out the things that don't, of course. So I'll start there. This is not the stuff that you flip a switch and it's done. It doesn't happen in a conference room. It doesn't happen in a meeting. In general, when a leader has a vision, it is not that it fell on them like a brick. They may have had a sudden epiphany, wouldn't it be better if, but the vision for the business has to be a broader view than that thing. And it's the kind of thing you develop while you are in the shower and driving around and going for your run and waiting online at the supermarket and your mind plays with it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that that means is by the time you're ready to tell people about it, 
you've already thought about it, edited it. You feel you know it. It's new to everybody else. They don't absorb. You say it. They don't absorb it just like that. They heard you. Okay, nice. Saying it once or five times that first week does not mean everyone has a vision. It means you have a vision. So the biggest integration thing is whatever is in your head, how do you get it into other people's heads? Not on a plaque, not in a meeting, but actually that they walk around thinking about this. So that's not one meeting, one email, one anything. It's constant. And I'm going to jump through the target, which is often seen as the middle category, exactly the way you described it, but I'm going to go to the values and culture. Think about almost annotating the things you talk about in every meeting. One example is we have to be in touch with customers more frequently. We have to be in touch with customers more frequently so we know what's going on in their lives, know if they need a change, know that we're thinking about them, and six other reasons, okay? Well, that matches our vision because our vision has to do with our great love for customers and our concern that they live happy, healthy, satisfying lives. That's very vanilla what I'm saying, but I just want to give you an example. So whenever I talk about what I want us doing with customers, I talk about it in terms of the vision. I don't just talk about the task or the action because then that task or action is disassociated from the vision and the vision becomes some idea that lives off on the side somewhere, but is not part of everybody's day-to-day job. Then you have a disassociated culture and you can't really tell what your values are. But if you are saying in the value of compassion for humanity, this is the way we treat our customers and we also have one day a month to volunteer and the agency also does philanthropy. And you tie them together so they can see that this is a chain made of many links. Okay, if those things are going on so that I, as the employee, not an owner, feel that I understand what we really care about, because we talk about it all the time, then when you give me targets that are related, they make sense to me. But if you separate, here's the vision, here are our goals and targets for the next quarter, those are usually quantified. And here are the behaviors. Would you please just call the customers more often? Then it can feel too much like you're just pounding on me, number one. Number two, you're pounding on me because you want to make those targets, but not you're pounding on me because you haven't seen me care about customers enough. So making sure that those things are really meshed is crucial. And if the leader is not thinking about all three and not communicating on all three, it won't work. And my experience is that communicating about the vision, the values, the meaning of this, that's all the bedrock on which the goals and targets can stand. This is great. I think what you mentioned there is so good because basically what it ends up being is this exercise of, okay, well, I need to articulate my vision. I need to put it down. 
but there's no, as you said, meshing of that to what we do day to day in a weekly huddle or in a monthly goals, et cetera. I got a message from someone yesterday. So by the time this is released, we'd already been over, but so we're hosting a workshop. It's actually a business planning workshop that comes up in two weeks and we're selling tickets for it. Well, all the money raised from the tickets is going to support an organization, specifically Operation Underground Railroad. So it's an organization that supports child trafficking. So I'll give a shout out to them on the podcast. It's an amazing organization. So all the money is going to go to that. Well, this client messaged me back and said, hey, I just really love that you're doing that. I want to integrate something like that in my organization with a different company. I'm like, fantastic. So I said, however, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. One thing that you should think about is instead of doing this as just kind of this one-off thing, you're inspired to do it, which is great. How can you tie that to your core values and your organization so it is now something that we're doing as opposed to this standalone thing that because you're kind of excited about doing it, but then it's actually not tied to who you are in the organization. And so that's just one small example and made me think about like, how do you actually mesh that together so it doesn't feel like it's all of these silos sitting right. apart from one another? I don't know if that resonates with you. It's a perfect example because when you have the mesh everything's moving in the right direction. There's no aspect of this that is sort of loitering in the background waiting to be dragged. When it's all heading in the right direction, if people aren't meeting their goals for some reason, but you know they are demonstrating the values, you know they are committed to the vision, then you just have to work on skills. Mm -hmm. Actually observe them. Maybe they're not handling the task the best possible way. You can demonstrate, you can explain all those things, but you know they are aligned. If you don't have the alignment, they might have the skills, but they're not committed. That's way harder to fix. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Liz, we're going to jump into E9 Rapid Fire. I can't believe we've been going for about 45 minutes or so. I've loved this conversation. It's been great. We're going to jump into that. But hey, people want to connect with you, find out more about you. What's the best way for them to be able to do that? Best is actually my website. I'm assuming you'll put it in the show notes, but it's mm -hmm. lizkislik.com, L-I-Z-K-I-S as in Sam, L-I-K.com. And there, by the way, Bradley, if they want it, there is a free ebook that is about the interpersonal aspects of conflict and how you deal with them. Okay. Useful to a lot of people. And there's loads of material there. My TEDx is there and 10 years worth of writing. So there's all kinds of stuff that's useful. And of course, they can also find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. All right, Liz, you ready for the world famous Ina and Rapid Fire? Okay. What is the last book that you read? <laughs> oh, God, what is the title of it? It's something like The Stupid Things I Will Not Do When I Get Old. <laughs> I think I may have said that wrong, but that is the last book. What is the book that you would recommend the most to other leaders and owners? It's called The Art of Possibility by two people with the last name of Zander, Z-A-N-D-E-R. And it is a really eye-opening thing. Okay. I haven't heard about that book. I'll definitely pick it up. What is your favorite quote? When you know more, you do more. Whenever you're not working, what do you love to do in your spare time? I love to read and I love to see my kids. Favorite place you've ever traveled to? That is tough. I'm going to say San Francisco. That's where my honeymoon was. San Francisco is pretty awesome. So is Napa. Fill in the blank. 10 years ago, I had no idea this would be so hard. 
Oh God, 10 years ago, I had no idea that all this writing that I do would be so hard. What's your favorite tech tool or app that you use every day? I love email. (laughs) (laughs) No, get off email. I love it. You get to be on a 10 hour flight anywhere in the world, but you get to sit next to anyone. Who would you sit next to? Do they have to be alive? No. Ben Franklin. I haven't heard that one on here. Yeah, that's great. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. After all, what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? You have to deal with people according to who they are. Liz, I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope to have you back on in the future. I had a great time, Bradley. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that conversation with Liz. She is fantastic. I just love the way that she thinks through things. She is so incredibly intelligent. The conversation took over three major conversation topics. One was change initiatives and whenever she got into talking about establishing of a pre-mortem so that we don't just sell ourselves on all the things that could go right, but what are also the things that could go wrong in that? That is so important. I hope you picked up on that. Secondly, when we talked about leaders developing other leaders, this may be one of the most important things. I don't think either one of us used the word delegation, but In that conversation about how whenever you're wanting to develop someone else and just kind of passing on all the problems or the things that you just don't love to do onto someone else, people don't just want to walk around and just pick up your problems. Yes, some of the things you don't really love to do, other people do love to do. That is certainly true. But the biggest thing there, she said, was maybe you're not the person to train and develop them. Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's an online course a program, or maybe it's a coach consultant, or maybe it's just one of your peers to be able to help develop that person in that area that you see as an area that is not your passion or your proficiency. As Dan Sullivan says, go and find a who. And then the third part of the conversation was around alignment, just tying the day-to-day things that we do on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, along with this bigger vision. And she was so right. It's all in your head. You've been ruminating on it for a long time, but whenever you've got to pass it from your head into their heads, they may hear you say it once, twice, three, four, five times. I'm sure many of you heard me say, one of the most important titles for you to have is to become the chief reminding officer, CRO. And that takes time. Whenever you feel like that you've said it so many times, you probably need to continue to say it until you hear your team reporting and saying the things back to you that you've said to them. Make sure you go to LizKislik.com. She really does have a ton of material on her website. Make sure you pick up her free ebook, The Field Guide and Checklist to help you identify and resolve interpersonal conflicts in the workplace. Hey, let's make 2022 your best year yet. Let's make 2022 your best year yet. If you do that, you got to be able to work with the best. Club Capital, Coach B, direct clicks, and relevant advantage. There are partners on this podcast. We would not be able to have incredible guests like Liz if it wasn't for our partners. I've heard it said that nothing happens until a sale is made, and that is so true. But that also means that you need to have a great conversions, but you also need to have fantastic leads, leads that are hot leads, warm leads that are ready to do business with you. Anybody can get you leads, but are they getting you the kind of leads that you can actually convert? That's what direct clicks can do for you. They can help you with your SEO, your pay-per-click, go to directclicksinc.com. We also talked about developing other leaders and how it may not be you that actually needs to be doing the developing. There's no better person to work with 
then Coach P, coachpconsulting.com. Make sure you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. You also want to stand out, right? You want to stand out from the other businesses in your area, and you want to give quality promotional materials. Go to relevantadvantage.com. They're going to be able to work with you and do creative, unique things that help you stand out in the marketplace. Since it's the first part of 2022, do you have good financials? Have you already used your financials from 2021 to make solid decisions going into 2022? If you don't have your financials, you don't get them on a regular basis. How are you going to make decisions that absolutely you know how they're going to impact the bottom line? That's exactly where Club Capital comes in. Go to club.capital, book your no obligation demo today. All right, everyone, let's make 2022 the best year yet. Thank you so much for your support of the podcast. Until next week, lead well.